to Totalus Rankium. This week, the Nerd Part Two. Hello and welcome to American President's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the presidents from Washington to Trump. And this is 8.2, the second part of Van Buren. Ooh, I, you know, I'm quite looking forward to this. Yeah? In the last episode, he did loads of cool stuff. A manipulator, a, a puppet master, if you will. If you will, and I do. Pulling the strings. Yes, no, it was it was interesting. Mm, I always what, felt like that was his hobby. Yeah, that's what I meant by, by he wants to be a politician. He yeah. wants to... Little, little twist there. A little turn here. A little tweak of the nipple here. Yeah, maybe. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then he gets what he wants. But he's doing really well. I, th- I think as a as a politician that's not the president, spot on. So far, American or Americant? Um, borderline. Yeah. Because he's done nothing great. He's just, but he has formulated a party that's still around that, that's now. That's big. That is big. That is quite big. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's now officially a Democrat. Yeah. With a, with a donkey, isn't it? Just the yes. ass. Yeah, they have the donkey. I'm not sure when the donkey became their symbol. Um, maybe we'll come across that soon. Okay. But they have a donkey. They're prepping the donkey. Brian. Yeah, Brian the donkey. Oh, he's always there. Yeah. Van Buren bought him a little, not quite a garage set, like a farmer's market. Yeah, exactly. Saw a donkey looking longingly at Van Buren, nibbled yeah. his coat as he walked past, his bright red coat as he walked past. Now he's part of the team. Yes. Brian, waiting for his moment. We'll find out when that moment is, shall we? Oh. Right. Come on, Brian. Okay, so... Let's jump into this week. We left Van Buren on the day of Jackson's election. Yeah. Well, no, sorry, after he got elected. Yes. Yes. Uh, By this point, he is, as you rightly point out, the little magician. Mm -hmm. He is the political wizard who has formed the Democratic Party slowly over years. All very impressive. Yeah. His man is now in the White House. His party are now supporting him. He's and got, it's a party as well. Yeah, exactly. He's got everything where he wants it to be. He's also the governor of New York. Remember, he quit the Senate and decided to go back to New York, be the governor where yep. he could campaign more easily for Jackson. Nice. However, it's not a shock to anyone that after a few days passed, word comes through. Jackson wants a word. Perhaps there's a vacancy open. Who? Me? Says <laughs> Van Buren. Yes. Well, where's his accent? Oh. Who really, me? We got a lot of comments saying how brilliant your accent was. I think it's a fantastic Swedish I, accent. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, Jamie did send a message to me, what, about two hours after we recorded? Mm. Last week, and it just said, that was Swedish, wasn't it? <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah, it was. It's a bad Swedish accent. Yeah, I, I don't want to even insult the Swedes by calling it Swedish. I think, <laughs> yeah. Oh well. So, he gets word, go and see Jackson. He's got... Ricky. A job vacancy open. Secretary of State. Oh, that's a big responsibility. Well, yeah, I mean, this is back when being Secretary of State meant that you're you're next in line to be president. Nice. Yeah. Now, Van Buren wasn't the obvious choice for Secretary of State. I mean, he was hardly a John Quincy Adams. He hadn't been touring Europe since his youth getting to know all the foreign diplomats. No. So this wasn't an obvious choice, but because Van Buren had put so much support behind Jackson, it was it was kind of a reward. Yeah, yeah. He has skills. They're multiplying, and he's losing control. Well, hopefully not losing control. No, he does have skills. So yeah, it was it was generally a uh, a well done. You supported me. You can do this job. Here's a little backhander for you. Yeah, you you know your way around the Washington scene. Yeah, there you go. You got to, you you talk the talk exactly. 
Now, Van Buren actually missed Jackson's inaugural address. Do you remember that's when uh, he delivered the speech and then there was a massive party at the White House? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Yeah, Van Buren missed that. He wasn't able to get there on time. But when he does arrive in the capital, he goes to visit the new president, meeting him for the first time since they formed their alliance. They'd seen each other uh, around Washington before, but this was the first time they formally met since... Yeah. He threw his weight behind Jackson. So like, cooey! And then Jackson shoots him with guns. Because <laughs> it's Jackson. Yeah. Maybe Jackson sees him and goes, Oh, you're Van Buren. Oh. Why are you carrying a donkey? <laughs> it's a brave new idea I have. <laughs> so yeah, apparently, um, Jackson meets with Van Buren and they have a nice meeting. Jackson's That's good. very pleasant even though his wife had only just died. Um, <laughs> he has a good meeting with Van Buren. The two of them leave, feeling they've made the right decision backing each other. Good. Still, everything's a little bit rocky to begin with, because this new alliance behind Jackson, what is becoming the Democratic Party, is a, it already has its factions. Right. You've got Van Buren and everything he built. Yes. But that's not all you've got behind Jackson. You've also got... All the Westerners that Jackson's brought along. All the people who live on the frontier and want yeah. politicians to start looking out for them. Fair point. Yeah. But you've also got all the Southerners that Calhoun has brought along. Ah. Yeah, now remember, this is before Jackson and Calhoun fall out. Mm. Yeah. So you've got Northern Republicans, you've got Southern Republicans, and you've got Western Republicans. Right. Making this Democratic Party. And not everyone sees eye to eye. So even at its birth, the Republican Party is starting to show some cracks. Well, straight away, they've already got they've already got their own interests to look after, haven't they? They've both got their very own, own agendas. Like, your Wild Westers, they you know, want farmland and to not die. <laughs> and you've got the people down south who want slaves. And the people at north is like, we don't want slaves. We're, we're good, thank you. Yeah, I and mean, you'll see how all this comes into play as, as we go along. I imagine very smoothly. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, to begin with, there are powerful men in all these factions vying for position, trying yeah. to get Jackson's attention, wanting the top jobs. Van Buren, perhaps seeking to solidify his new friendship with Jackson, found a way to, to get in there when the first scandal hits Jackson's presidency. Yes. Now, if you remember his episode, Jackson's friend, Eaton, had just married a wife named Peggy. Yeah. Yeah. Peggy, you remember, was brought up in a tavern, and some accused her of getting to know the guests. She's a bit of a, um, a round Susan. <laughs> yes. Would they, make the rounds. That That's what they call her. A bit of a her. merry-go-round. Yeah, I mean, in real life, her biggest crime was just being poor when she was younger. She wasn't one of the elite. No. Yeah, and uh, she was looked down upon. Peggy and uh, Eton had had an affair before Peggy's husband then Where, died. Oh, that's, oh, ooh, no, that's bad. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a, a sailor and had died, like, hundreds of miles away, and there's no suspicion of uh, foul play there. No, but, you know. Still, it's a bit of gossip. It's something you yeah. could chat about in the corner. Uh, and at least he wasn't lying in the bed dying of some, like, dysentery or something. You know, flooding the bedroom in the next door. You know, his wife's just, Peggy's all... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just him wincing with every creak of the springs from next door. Just releasing a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, No, I don't think that happens. Good. But this conversation we're having is probably similar to the conversation the the elite in Washington were having around the 19th century version of water coolers. Oh, then we're in good company. Yes, exactly. Tell your hair. To put it simply, she was an outcast. She was snubbed at parties. She was talked about. Mrs Calhoun apparently was the ringleader in these chats. 
Oh, I bet she's a scary lady. Yeah, looked identical to Howard Calhoun, <laughs> just with a big wig. <laughs> <laughs> now, so as we've seen, uh, this reminded Jackson too much of the attacks on his wife before her death, and he became outraged. Well, yeah. Now, what we didn't cover, though, is that Van Buren also became outraged. Now, maybe he was genuinely outraged. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but maybe he simply saw an opportunity to get closer to the president. Maybe it was a mixture of the two. I reckon a mixture of the two. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. Well, he not only supported Peggy, but he looked for her friendship. He called upon her when he arrived in the capital. One of the first things he did was go around to her house. So I hear you sleep around when your <laughs> husband's not around. Yeah, pretty hey, much. Peggy. <laughs> Apparently the conversation went a bit like this, and perhaps this is a hint at his inner thoughts here. He's said to have confided in Peggy in this meeting that he thought that General Jackson was the greatest man living, nay, in history. Oh dear. Yeah, but, and this is a quote here, he said to Peggy, but don't tell General Jackson what I've just said. <laughs> now obviously Peggy did just that the next yeah. time she saw him. And Jackson is said to have replied, Ah, madam, he loves me. He tries to conceal it. But there is always some fixed way which I can tell my friends from my enemies. Does he, like, stroke Jackson's leg underneath the table? Is that how he knows? <laughs> Quite possibly. Um, yeah, I mean, this is clearly Van Buren just manipulating things to yeah. make, it, make himself look good to Jackson. Yeah, that's what I do with you. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. Yeah, it, it works. Yeah. It does. I'm still convinced you like me. You're probably the greatest person, nay, the best person in the world. Podcaster. Best podcaster <laughs> in the world. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. I keep telling you. Oh, thanks. That's very kind of you to say. No, no problem. Yeah. Idiot. Sorry? What? Oh, nothing. I thought you said something. No. I'll listen in the edit. An historian writing 30 years later would claim that this social call between Van Buren and Peggy was one of the most important turning points in American history. This sounds darkly familiar, doesn't it? Does it? I mean, I don't want to get political, but certainly in modern times, this is the sort of thing you can imagine happening. You say a good word about the president and you get a good job. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I now know what you mean. Um, yeah, it's not just that Van Buren manages to wheedle his way into a job, because he's already done that. Oh, yeah. But he's now getting the backing of the president. But I've got to quote this historian here. The political history of the last 30 years dates from the moment when the soft hand of Van Buren touched Mrs. Eaton's knocker. You what? He touched her knocker. Oh. Yeah. How, how, how noisy was it? I don't know. Uh, do your sound effect again. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like that. Oh. Only with a shocked scream at the end. <laughs> Mr. Van Buren. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously this is uh, hyperbole, uh, the idea that this is hugely important, but you can see battle lines starting to form here. Due to the Peggy Eaton affair, Jackson and Van Buren end up on one side yeah. and Calhoun ends up on the other. Ooh, Calhoun. Yeah, this is, this is the party starting split straight away. Anyway, Van Buren carries on with his job, and he does a fairly good job. He completes trade deals with Britain, and the first deal with the Ottoman Empire is made. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, which is nice. Uh, they also get some money off France, which they owed. Oh, good. That's always good. 
um, and generally does an alright job. As we've seen, the biggest political drama was South Carolina's disgust at the recent tariffs. Mm. Remember, Calhoun and South Carolina were talking about nullifying the tariff laws. Yeah. And that could lead to all sorts of problems. Yeah, not good things. This is when the dinner then happened. The dinner. With the toast off. Toast off. You're just repeating me. Do you remember the toast off? Do you remember the toast off? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> right, the flashback to the toasts. Okay. This will come back to you. I read out Jackson's toast and then Calhoun's toast, and we decided who had the best toast. Oh, yeah, because one was far more menacing than the other. Yeah, yeah. This is when uh, Calhoun's threatening to nullify the tariff laws, yeah. saying that states' rights are more important than national laws. Jackson's not having any of it. Calhoun's a bit of a separatist, really, isn't he? Oh, yes, as we will see. So, flashback to that moment. Watch it again as if we're there again, but okay. this time from a different camera angle. Oh, ooh, that's weird. Yeah, it's changed slightly, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a bit further away this time. Got to get more people into the shot. Okay. Yeah. So, Jackson stands up and says, Our federal union, it must be preserved. An obvious attack at Calhoun, who is saying... That, no, the union's not as important as states. Yeah. Now, Calhoun visibly shaken at the force of this public attack by the president, who wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stood up, and just like last time, he's yeah. going to say the same thing. You got a different camera angle still? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And he said, The union, next to our liberty the most dear, may we all remember that it can only be preserved by respecting the rights of states. Ooh. And then we decided Jackson won the toast off. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's shorter, it's more snappy, but yeah. more menacing. And now, had a gun. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't cut away, which is what we did last time. Okay. Because another person stands up to deliver a toast. Van Buren. Yes. And I will quote, and you can see if he trumps them. Okay. Mutual forbearance and reciprocal concessions. Through their agency, our union was founded. The patriotic spirits from which they emanated will forever sustain it. He's not committing, is he, to anything? Oh, it's typical Van Buren. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys, can't we all just get along? Uh, come on, BFS, come on. Yeah, so that's that's Van Buren's toast. That's pathetic. You're not happy with it, No, I'm not you? happy with that at all. No. He's let me down. Oh, that's a shame. Even even Brian's looking a bit, you know, a bit awkward. What, the donkey? Yeah. Oh, is he slightly ashamed? He is, yeah. Yeah, well... He's, um, he's shuffled off and accidentally knocked over a cocktail glass. Well, I don't think anyone's really listening to Bambio and they're still excited by the uh, the original toast off. But Bambio yeah. Bambio's there. He delivered his own toast. It yeah. just wasn't as good. And he's nowhere nearly as widely remembered. No. Which is a shame. Now, despite the tone of the compromise, after this, gloves were off. Calhoun and Van Buren went to political war against each other. Ooh. Yeah, papers from either side starting attacking one another. Despite Van Buren's tours and his careful cultivation of the South. Remember, he used to go on his tours, even though he was just a normal senator. He was a bit mocked for it. Yeah, he starts hearing murmurs of disapproval from the South. Yeah. Calhoun's turning it against him. And this is when Jackson, unable to govern with his cabinet so split, sets out his plan. Van Buren would quit, and then with him gone, it would leave Jackson the political cover to fire those in his cabinet who were working against him. Literally fire. Yeah. Yeah, like that. It's yeah. the only way he knew how to fight someone. Fair enough. Yeah. It's a very literal man, was Jackson. <laughs> Into the cannon. <laughs> Keeps it next to his desk. Yes. <laughs> 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 
Now, it should be said that last time I said this was Jackson's plan, like yeah. I said just then, but in the Van Buren books I've been reading, this is all Van Buren's plan. Of course. So, uh, yeah, it depends on the historian and what angle they're going up for, I yeah. think. Uh, but if I had to choose between Jackson, who literally fires people out of cannons to fire them, yeah. and the political manipulator Van Buren, I know who I'd choose as to who came up with this plan. Van Buren? Yeah. He's yeah. a planner. He's... Yeah, so I'm going to give it to Van Buren, I am. Anyway, Van Buren's out of a job, but he was given a new one. Lucky him. One that would help with his lack of experience outside the US. He was to become the minister to England. Okay. In the summer of 1831... Van Buren and his son John, who's 21 by this point... Oh, wow. They enjoyed a peaceful, easy sail across the Atlantic. That's never happened in this podcast, I don't it's, think. It's not like before, where you've no. got like John Adams and little John Quincy literally bailing the water out of their ship yeah. before they sink and die, chased by pirates. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, that's gone now. It's just a oh. nice, easy sail. Like a cruise. Yeah, I don't know, maybe some, some excitement happened one day when someone lost a thimble or something. Possibly. But even then, it was found five minutes later, no harm, no foul. No. Yeah. So it's a bit in the diary though, isn't it? It is, yeah. Hmm. They arrive in London, and Van Buren puts to good use the large living expenses he'd been given. He flashes the cash around a bit. Making connections. Making connections, yeah. He spent his time meeting with all those high up in London society, including meeting the royal family. Yeah. It's been a while since we've seen the royal family of Britain in the podcast, hasn't it? Yeah. So yeah. we're past the Georges now. We're into William. George III is finally dead. Oh, so it's uh, George IV. Well, not quite. George III had died 11 years previous to Van Buren arriving in okay. London. So then George IV took over. That's George III's son. Yeah. Um, but he, he only lasts 11 years. He yeah. died the year before Van Buren arrived. So now it's George IV's brother, William IV. So the royal family enjoyed the company of this chatty American. Van Buren and his son was soon enjoying the variety of ale and beer in England. Apparently they were very impressed. Brilliant. Yeah, so they should be. Yeah. None of this frozen rubbish you can't taste. They only had Bud Light in America at this point. Ah, yeah. the dark times. Yeah. <laughs> the, the whole craft beer thing hadn't taken off in America yet. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, obviously, they, they did have Samuel Adams, though. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Anyway, they tried lots of beer and ale, uh, apparently. They sampled yeah. a lot. Beer tasting. Beer tasting. That's what it was. Yeah. I beer tasted 48 pints. <laughs> he also met with an elderly Talleyrand, which is a, a huge name in the French Revolution. Uh, we've only mentioned him once before in this podcast, way back in John Adams' episode. And you remember when the French demanded a bribe from the US to speak to them? Yeah, yeah. And it caused a bit of a political storm. Yeah. Yeah, Talleyrand was involved in that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. This is an elderly Talleyrand. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that was fun for Van Buren, a big name in history he got to meet. However, as he was enjoying himself in London, sampling the beer, chatting to celebrities, yeah. uh, Calhoun was back home, plotting. In his plotting room underneath the volcano. Yeah. Yeah, with his massive blackboard. It's, no, no, it's America. I, I think not just a blackboard, but one of those see-through boards you get in, like, modern police dramas oh yeah, that, yeah that's really impractical yeah no one would ever use because no. you're constantly looking through it instead of looking at the writing that's on it yeah I've never seen one in real life I don't think they exist in real life no it's stupid yeah so anyway Calhoun's got one 
all his minions are trying to squint at this board, figuring out what the writing says. They're just looking out the window at the, the yeah. birds being charred by the volcano. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Calhoun's got a plot because Van Buren is in London. Yeah, and that's far away. <laughs> it is. And he's the minister to London, but he's not been confirmed yet. Jackson said you can be the minister for England, off you go. But it needs to be ratified by the Senate. So any deals he makes will won't be valid. Yeah, and uh, if he's not ratified, then he has to come back home. Oh dear. Calhoun pulled some strings, asked some favours, slowly roasted some people. Didn't smile though. No, no. Again, it was just the staring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then once Senate was back in session, Calhoun's anti-Van Buren faction voted Van Buren out of his new job. Oh, that's not fair. Afterwards, Calhoun gleefully announced, and I quote, This will kill him. Kill him dead. <laughs> Brilliant. He waited like a month to say that because he needed oh. to wait for the thunderstorm. Oh, yeah, you got to time that. Yeah, but he did, so it was nice. <laughs> anyway, the news may have disappointed Van Buren, but he soon realised that Calhoun's plan was backfiring. Van Buren did not have the best reputation. He was uh, known for being a bit of a puppet master, working in the shadows, a bit sinister, possibly. A bit Romulan. Yeah. Now, this attack on him... I knew what you meant. That's that's a Star Trek reference, yeah, it isn't is. it? Yeah, I see, I knew it. Um, <laughs> I've got no idea if it's true, though. <laughs> oh, it is. It is, right. Okay, so yeah, a bit Romulan. Um, yeah, so this attack on him humanised him in the public domain. Everyone thought it was a bit petty of Calhoun to go after Van Buren's job. Yeah. So all of a sudden, people saw Van Buren as the victim in the political wrangling instead of the puppet master. And if I know Van Buren, which I think I do quite yes. well, yeah, yeah. he'll take full advantage of that. Well, he immediately went on holiday to the Netherlands. Back home. Yeah, yeah. Went back, back home. home. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Everyone just looked at him really strangely. Why does he speak in Swedish? Yeah, yeah he, he just took in a bit of a holiday, went to see his homeland, and uh, all the while was receiving news that actually things were all right back home. His popularity was soaring, if anything. Uh, then, brilliant news comes through. The Democratic Party had voted for him to serve as Jackson's vice president should Jackson win the next election. Oh, which I'm sure he will do. Yes. So, Van Buren returns to the US in the middle of Jackson's war against the banks. Remember Jackson didn't like the banks? Yeah, he kept shooting them. Yeah. It's probably why they didn't like Jackson. Oh, see, I've not written it down, but there is a famous quote, so I'm going to have to paraphrase it here. But he does say to Van Buren, at this point when he comes back, the banks are trying to kill me, but I will kill the banks. Yeah, then he runs out of his office, two guns in hand. Sharpening its pistols. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Van Buren was... Not unsympathetic to the pro-bank views. I mean, he comes from the north and south. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's from New York. He's not hugely anti-bank to begin with. But he's got to kind of choose a side here. And inevitably, he swings behind Jackson and soon was denouncing the National Bank for yeah. its, its evil ways. Fair enough. Also, not only this, the nullification crisis was swinging back into gear. Calhoun was now loudly talking about nullifying the tariffs, and Jackson was even louder talking about using force to make sure that South Carolina got into line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Van, Buren, Van Buren, able to calm Jackson down slightly, realising that the, a civil war could break out if things go too far here. 
So Van Buren is just trying to keep keep everything calm. Yeah. Think of blue. Think of blue. Please cue me blue. As we saw, these crises were got through. Good. Yeah. And the next election saw Jackson comfortably win. Van Buren therefore becomes the vice president. Hmm. And arguably, for the first time, the position of vice president wasn't completely useless. He can he can do things. Yeah, and he did. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Not only did he do things, he did things with Jackson. The president and the vice president worked together. What? As a team. No. Yeah, no, it was, it was revolutionary, it was. It was... Oh, to be fair, we have kind of seen this before, but Van Buren really got stuck in and involved. The two went on tour together. They made up T-shirts and everything. It was great. Oh. They toured New York and New England, 1833. Oh. Yeah. NYC, 1833. Yes. <laughs> That's what it said. T-shirts and the banners. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have much details on this because what went on tour stayed on tour. Oh, of course it did, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but they, I'm sure they had a good time. Oh, yeah. But they did, yeah. No, they, they just uh, were rallying political support in an area that was a bit weaker yeah. to, than the rest. Look what we can give to you. Give us money. However, the best part of Van Buren's new job of being the vice president was to have been presiding over the Senate that had recently voted him out of a job, remember? Nice. Yeah. Ah, Calhoun! <laughs> Step into my office. Well, it was uh, more Henry Clay ah. uh, that Van Buren had a bit of an altercation with. Well, I say an altercation. Uh, one day, Henry Clay stood up and delivered a very long and very scathing attack on Jackson's economic policies. Right. I mean, this this was full-on rant mode. You suck. <laughs> Your family suck. Your face sucks. You know what it sucks? Your bad policies. I was about to say it was more directed at the policies, but you got that in there yeah. at the end. So I, yeah. I swerved towards that after you nudging me three times. That, that, that is... Probably a direct quote, therefore, I'm going to say, of Henry Clay at the time. Excellent. Yeah, so th- this uh, this long, scathing attack on Jackson's policies just went on and on, and Van Buren simply sat there, watching, listening, not responding at all. No. Eventually, Clay ran out of words and sat down. There was a pause. Everyone waiting to see, how's Van Buren going to take this? How does he take it? Well, he calmly stands up. He asks another senator to take his gavel. <laughs> and beat Clay over the head with it. <laughs> yeah, not quite, no. <laughs> um, yeah, he asked the senator to take his gavel and just to sit in his seat. He could do that for me. Then he calmly walked across the room to where Clay was and asked, Mr Clay, may I borrow some of your excellent snuff? Very confused, Clay kind of woodenly handed over his snuff box. Yeah. At this point, Van Buren applied some of the snuff to his nostrils, thanked Clay and then simply walked out the room. That's a message, though. <laughs> yeah. Look what I can make you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rant all you want. Who's in charge? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> e- even Brian gave a nice bray after that. He was very impressed. <laughs> However, Van Buren was not winning all political theatric encounters. Calhoun one day stood up to denounce Van Buren as, and I quote, not of the race of the lion or the tiger. He belongs to a lower order. The fox. Foxy. Yeah. Why fox? Uh, well, uh, not only is this an elitist dig, he doesn't belong to us, he grew up in a tavern, uh, It's uh, yeah. the fox was also seen as, although wily and crafty, not a, a positive character. 
So sort of a negative animal. It's like Connie's swung a pig now. You yeah. know, they're very noble animals. Yeah, no. It's a, it a pig. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, a little bit like that. So yeah. it was an insult. It wasn't good. Things got so bad that he even started carrying loaded pistols to the <laughs> Senate chamber with him. Nice. Yeah. Now, this is Van Buren's story, so obviously the pistols were never used. No. No, so this was Jackson's story. There'd already be five dead on the floor. <laughs> Every time someone asked for a like, refreshment break or something. <laughs> Refresh this. <laughs> yeah. I think I really just show the level of sort of the aggression and nastiness. Yeah, th- things were tense during this time. I mean, a Prime Minister's not loved, <laughs> but she doesn't have to carry guns with her to... I no, I mean, she, questions. she takes a few switchblades. Oh, yeah, that's, that's London. That's, yeah, it's London. Um, <laughs> yeah, due to his unpopularity, Rampion was increasingly attacked in the papers and in the growing political cartoon business. Ooh. Yeah, he was easy to caricature, was Rampion. Uh, Why? Well, first of all, his fashion sense. He was very sharply dressed, as we talked about. I, I wouldn't before. say sharp. That's <laughs> a word I would use. <laughs> Ostentatious. Better. Yeah. yeah. But not only that, um, I'm just going to say side buns. <gasps> yeah, I'm just going to say that. See, in my head, I've got like a. He, he'd be wearing a pencil moustache. Because in my head, he's Hercule, Hercule Poirot. Right, okay. Agatha Christie, and that's my view of him. Short and round. Interesting. Silly little men. That's not quite what he's like. Well, we'll see later. We'll oh, see. I'll be like six foot eight, isn't he? <laughs> Rippling with muscles. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in fact, his, his portrait is just him topless, <laughs> ripping a phone book in half. <laughs> he's just Arnie in bad clothes and uh, oh, yeah. sideburns. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Been working, girls. <laughs> Can't believe you got me doing the accent now. Anyway. I knew it. Yeah, so, I mean, he was made fun of because lots of people didn't like the fact he was the heir apparent. I mean, it was very obvious. He'd been Secretary of State, he's now Vice President, and Jackson kept saying things like, Van Buren's going to be President after me, whilst cocking his guns. (laughs) Isn't he, guys? (laughs) Yes. Yes, he is. So, I mean, despite the fact that uh, he was unpopular, once Jackson announced he wouldn't be running again, the party got in line and supported Van Buren to run for election. Nice. So the campaign began, and interestingly, Van Buren, the king of campaigning, settled into the routine of the times. He sat back and let others campaign on his behalf. Fair enough. Yeah. The country was not yet ready for a man to be president who openly said he wanted the job. It's that Roman thing, isn't it? Who, me? Of course. (laughs) Yeah. If you insist. Now, opposing Van Buren were three candidates from the political party that had risen to fight against the rise of the Democrats. The Whig Party, who I've briefly mentioned before. This is comprised of the old Federalists that no longer had a home, and also the Republicans who were not Jacksonian or Van Buren supporters. Right. Does this later become the Republican Party? Mm. Modern Republican? Again, not not quite. Um, We are, of course, uh, only a couple of decades from the Republican Party being created now. So the Democrats were first? Yeah, yeah. So I thought because GOP, the grand old party, I thought they were the original. Yeah, but that's why the Democratic Party is also known as the Grand Older Party. But it just gets really confusing because the acronym's the same, so they gave up on it. <laughs> R.O.P. Really old party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, opposing Van Buren were three Whig candidates. By putting forth three candidates, the Whig Party hoped it's... to force the election into Congress because it would be harder for Van Buren to get an outright majority. That's true. However, you are splitting your own vote. 
Yeah, it's got that downside. But remember, you needed to have more than all the other candidates combined. Ah, fair enough. Yeah, otherwise it goes into Congress. True majority, though. Yeah, exactly. So the hope was we, if we put forth three candidates that are popular in separate areas of the country, they will together pull more votes. Then it will go into Congress, and then we can work some magic that way. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what Van Buren said. Um, <laughs> I think not. Because <laughs> he got 170 electoral votes to their combined 124. That is 763,000 individual votes to the combined Whig 736,000. So a, a fairly comfortable win, considering he was against three separate people. Yeah, oh, yeah. brilliant. At the age of 53, he became the youngest president in history. Really? <laughs> 53, yes. wow. Which sounds really good, doesn't it? But he is only the eighth president. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which made me think, oh, I bet there's been loads so far. I bet, like, Washington was obviously the youngest president in history. I just seem to say, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, he was the first. Uh, and then <laughs> then I thought, oh, and then some of the others would have beat him. But no, actually. I think John Quincy would have been younger, isn't he? No, uh, I looked it up. Washington was 57 and everyone else has been older. Wow. Um, yeah, quite a lot of them were 57 or so, but slightly older than Washington. Yeah. Um, yeah, there you go. So Washington was the youngest and now it's Van Buren. Wow. So that's a title he shares with Washington. Nice. It's nice, isn't it? It's a nice little stat he, he's got got in his stat pocket. Aww. So, he's elected president. He had weathered the political storms. He'd managed to go from a Dutch boy working in a, his parents' tavern to the president of the United States. American dream. Yes. <laughs> he had reason to be happy. He had about a week to enjoy himself. Oh, <laughs> Nice. Yeah, there's a couple of big events that happened in Van Buren's presidency that shaped the way history looks at him. First of all was the Panic of 1837. That was this just like a generalised panic? It wasn't actually a thing, it was just everyone just started worrying a lot Everyone more. just started screaming. Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Portraits have become more common and Calhoun's was passed around a lot in 1836. Oh and it just instilled a sense of dread. <laughs> yeah, ooh. No, th this is the economic crash of 1837, ah. which is known as the Panic of 1837. Uh, to begin with, 1837 looked like it might be an excellent year. Technology was increasing at a pace that no one had ever seen before. The country was growing rapidly. Mm. Things were looking very good when Van Buren gave his inaugural speech. It wasn't a speech that goes down in history for being particularly great. He just stands up and says, thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it wasn't. Noted as being terrible. Uh, it, interestingly, is the first inaugural speech to mention the word slavery, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about a bit more later. But yeah, there was a sense of a new era in the air. After all, Van Buren was the first truly American president. Yeah, he, he wasn't born in a British colony. He was born yeah. in America. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was relatively young as well. <gasps> Do you think this is when the accent kicked in? Yes. As soon as he became president, Van Buren lost would, his accent. It would you like to see the name American? Yeah, that's what happened. My name's Martin Van Buren. <laughs> Prez. 
Yeah. Extreme. That's when all the American accents change now. Yeah. <laughs> We've gone past the English colonial. Exactly. It was a good day. It was a sense of something new happening. Yeah. It's like yeah. when Sweden tried to drive on the other side of the road overnight. Yeah. People yeah. got a bit confused to start with. There was a bit of panic, but generally it went all right. Yeah. 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 Nice. It was National Change Your Accent Day. Yeah. Yeah, that weird, horrible in betweeny sort of for about a month. Everyone's accent kind of. Oh, hello! Can I buy, buy a pound of potatoes or <laughs> over there? <laughs> Deviated through Irish. There. <laughs> I have Irish ancestry. <laughs> so, so, like I say, a sense of a new era. <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. So, um, Van Buren delivered his speech. He was politely clapped. Um, there was some toasts and balls like you'd expect he moved into the <laughs> white house his first task of course was to get rid of the smell of cheese <laughs> yeah yeah so he, he stripped the rooms <laughs> back to their boards and <laughs> cleaners get the smell of cheese out of the rooms but despite all this good feeling of having a non-cheesy white house and uh, brand spanking new accents and everything yeah um those who knew a little bit about the economy, uh, those that had been criticising Jackson's policies for the last few years, began to notice a few tremors, a few problems. Reports of mobs destroying warehouses over the price of flour in New York became increasingly common, not just from that state, but all over the country. Something's not quite right here. Why, why is flour so expensive? Within two weeks of Van Buren becoming president, it became clear to everyone that the economy was crashing, and it was crashing hard. So how... Can I ask you how come? Yes, yes, you can ask me, because I've written it in my notes. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, as is always the case, the reasons for economic crashes are complex and very hard to decipher, even from a distance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we simply don't have time to go into all the details. I imagine when... Jerry from the Presidency's podcast goes into this. He'll, he'll do his usual fantastic job of like getting really deep into this, like up to the elbow, kind of. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't mess about. No, he doesn't. <laughs> doesn't even wear gloves. <laughs> yeah, uh, but for a simplified overview, which is all we need for our podcast right now, um, some of the reasons for this crash couldn't be helped. Trade was becoming more international. It was becoming more speedy. Markets were being affected quicker than they've ever been before because trade was quicker than it had ever been before. Yeah. The rapid rise of technology meant that banks were investing just as rapidly. Lots of railroads were being built and banks were investing into them loads. Because they know they get the money back tenfold because that's the new and exciting thing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, with this rapid rise of everything that's going on, people are spending a lot of money expecting a lot back. Yeah. And this is not just banks in the US. The Bank of England, arguably the most powerful bank in the world at this point, was investing hugely into technological advances in the United States. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. The, the economy was truly starting to become global. Wow. So when the Bank of England made decisions about interest rates, the US economy would be affected. So, I mean, there, there's things going on outside the US that the US had no control over, and yeah. this would have led into what caused the crash. However, there were some massive own goals by the US, namely Jackson's attack on the National Bank, destabilising the country's banking system, as well as his specie circular, which banned anyone from buying land with anything but hard gold and silver which set off a real estate crash because suddenly no one could buy any land anymore. 
I could say needed... carry bags of gold around with. Yeah, them. exactly. <laughs> it, it, um, so a lot's going on. Yeah. In a uh, economy that wasn't really ready for all this to happen, things no. are moving swiftly and quickly, and political decisions were made that were not fully thought out, which is why Jackson lost a lot of points last week. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at the time, the two political parties do what political parties do whenever there's an economic crash. Oh, blame each other. They blamed each other, of course. In in 2008, in our country, everyone blamed that current government. Yeah. It was a worldwide recession. Yeah, exactly. It's it's point scoring, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. If there's a global crash, of course, you're going to point to the opposition and say it's their fault. Because you're either in power when it crashes, so you can point to the previous government and say, well, it was actually them. Yeah, yeah. Or you're not in power and you can point to who is in power and say, but they're in charge. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very easy to point the finger. It doesn't matter whether you're in power or not. It's true. So anyway, Van Buren and the Democrats attempt to blame the banks for the crash yeah. and the Whigs that supported the banks. It's their fault they didn't regulate the economy well enough. And they had a good point. 347 banks have been created in the last seven years alone. Wow. And there was no regulation whatsoever. They okay. just printed whatever they wanted. Inflation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, However, the general public didn't really buy this. After all, why had all those state banks been created and what gave them so much freedom? It was Jackson's attack on the National Bank that did that. So it wasn't really working. After all, the Whigs had also been warning that this is going to happen for quite some time. Clay had been standing up shouting about the economic policies for, for hours. No one listened to him. Well, now they're listening. Now they can't afford bread anymore. Just Clay standing there, slightly smug, yeah, but with a tear going down his cheek because he chews his last piece of bread. Yeah, but offering Van Buren some more snuff. <laughs> Do you like some stuff now, Van Buren? That were clear, yes, sinuses, weren't it? <laughs> yeah, so um, most people blamed Jackson and, by extension, Van Buren. Cause yeah. The two were in cahoots together. That's true, because Van Buren can't blame the previous. No, exactly. That's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, one by one, the crash, or as I say, the panic as it's known, hit the major cities of the US. New York. Seattle. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Miami. Yeah, Yeah, all all of them. Yeah, but New York obviously was a big powerhouse. New Orleans, even though it was very far away. Las Vegas. Las Vegas, yeah. Los Angeles. All all the cities. The city of California. Yes. (laughs) Well done. Um, Yeah, all the major cities of, of the US. Prices were fluctuating wildly. People were being laid off in large numbers. Businesses could no longer afford to hire people. 20,000 people lost their jobs in New York City alone. Wow. Yeah. Farmers just watched as their crops rotted in the fields because they could not sell them. And as all this food was lying on the docks, being unable to be sold, rotting away, you equally had people starving to death. Oh. Yeah. It's a serious economic crash. It's, in fact... The second worst in American history. So it was the next one, twenty-seven. Yeah, the Great Depression. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the biggest one. But uh, up until then, this was this was the biggie. Wow. Anyway, by May, so uh, Van Buren's been in charge for a couple of months, and he realizes he's got to do something. So he calls a special session of Congress. Congress aren't in session at this point, but they can't wait till it's back. Let's let's get together. We need to yeah, sort yeah. this through. People are literally starving in the streets here. 
Even those that argued for small government realised that actually something needs to be done. Unfortunately, however, deep division over how to tackle this problem, as the government had spent the last eight years stripping away any form of regulation over the banks, it's now very hard to see what they could do. They've taken all control away from the banks. Yeah. Uh, it's like privatising everything. They're going, no, we want to nationalise it again. Yeah, it, oh. <laughs> it, it was tricky. Some claimed that retaining as much hard currency as possible in the government and then distancing the government from the financial systems was a way forward, isolating your hard currency. Uh, so some, you gold bullion and sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some said that meddling would make things worse, do literally nothing, ride it out. It'll some, <laughs> yeah, that, that was called the la-la-la-la-la approach. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, some claimed that the government needed to support the state banks. After all, that's what we've been heading towards for the last eight years. So, um, print more money. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it never works. Some said, no, we need to go back to what we did before, set the national bank up, do whatever we can to go back to how it used to be. Mm. Uh, basically, no one had a solid idea. No. Well, at least they did, but they were all completely opposing, and no one really knew which one idea was going to be work. Mm. Typical is Van Buren always sits in the fence. Ah, well, yeah, typical of Van Buren. He eventually reaches a compromise. He proposed an independent treasury for federal deposits that would be separate from the banks. So you're in governmental money. Yeah, and then banks would operate outside of that. For people, people yeah. in business. Yeah, exactly. Okay. To, to appease the bankers, who wouldn't like this idea, because that's taking a lot of money away from them, um, he suggested that all federal lawsuits that were piling up against the banks yeah. uh, just be kind of put to one side for a while. Yeah, we're, we're just... Let's just sort this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll put that to one side. However, Van Buren's proposals were defeated in the House. Eventually, it would be accepted in 1840, then it would be taken away again, then yeah. reinstated. Okay. Uh, eventually, it was taken on board, but not during Van Buren's presidency. Okay. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of finds a kind of middle way here. Eventually, the economy slowly starts to recover, as economies generally do. Uh, a couple of dips, but generally things are starting to go in the right direction. But obviously the human damage was already done. Many people had died and suffered during this economic crash. Yeah. And there was no form of social support whatsoever back then. So you were just screwed. You grow your own food or die. Yeah, exactly. And also the political damage had been done. Van Buren, the master politician, had failed the first hurdle. Everyone blamed him. Oh dear. Still, as long as he doesn't fall into any more traps, it should be fine. I, yeah. Unfortunately for Van Buren, however, for a variety of reasons, the issue of slavery was being discussed more and more. There are many reasons why this is true that have been suggested by historians. The growth of railways and newspapers. More and more people were becoming more aware of what other people were going through in the country. People were more connected. Yeah. Slavery was no longer an abstract thing in the South. You could start to read reports about what was actually happening in the South. Wow. Also, the financial difficulties that had just hit, people perhaps grew more empathy for those who had always had hard times. Yeah. That's another reason given. Um, perhaps the country was becoming more aware of how other countries were viewing this ever-increasing new nation. Becoming a bit more self-conscious of the fact that, yeah. Yeah, hang on, we're a slave state still. Bit awkward. Yeah, uh, Britain had abolished slavery across the entire empire in 1833, oh, wow. so a few years previously. That didn't look good. And even Mexico, brand new Mexico, which most Americans just look down on as just this 
new little republic that had started up. It was a little baby country. Well, they'd abolished slavery in 1829. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't look great. And some people in America were perhaps getting a bit self-conscious of the fact that mm. the rest of the world seemed to be getting rid of slaves. In a modern world, yeah, in a modern age. Exactly. It's not I what mean, you want. America was starting to develop that self-assurance, which uh, they're known for having around this time, because they were they were doing very well in many areas, mm. uh, especially their expansion. So um, those that were proud to be American, and rightly so, were perhaps a bit embarrassed by this dark stain. But also you got this, you're going to have this core group use it because it's ba- it, it, it is their economy. Well, yes, of course. I hope that doesn't come into some well, sort of conflict we, later on. We will see. <laughs> so in the 1830s and going into the 1840s, we really see uh, slavery becoming more of an issue. Mm. Or at least more of an issue for white people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The black population. It'd been an issue for them for quite some time. I can imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. As mentioned before, Van Buren even mentioned slavery during his inaugural address, which shows how much it was being talked about at the time. Unfortunately, it was only mentioned to appease the southern states. He promised he would do nothing to affect slavery. Now, Van Buren's opinions on slavery are hard to ascertain and seem to change over his life. He grew up in a tavern that owned slaves, if you remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, he at one point owned a slave himself when he was an adult. Since becoming a politician, he had gone out of his way to make it very hard to pin him down on the subject in typical Van Buren style. And now he was president, he had a problem. Mm-hmm. The North becoming increasingly anti-slavery, the South becoming increasingly pro-slavery. And Van Buren had spent his career trying to maintain friends and supporters in both the North and the South. So therefore, slavery was increasingly looking like a situation that he was not going to be able to just stay on this non-committal path of his. Yeah, because eventually someone's going to want, you know, decide. Yeah. Tell me what you think. Soon enough, every move he made was scrutinised those looking for clues as to his thoughts. I mean, what, what does he really think? He's buying bread. He's going to get brown bread or white bread. <laughs> Just a crowd of people outside the bakery watching which one his hand gets. Then it moves to a roll. That, that is the only way you could ascertain yeah. someone's opinions on slavery. But, yeah, he looks over his shoulder and was looking, so he, yeah, chooses the rolls instead. Yeah. Maybe they looked to his uh, bakery habits. I'm not convinced, though. Um, some people did see a sign in the fact that his son married the cousin of Dolly Madison. Remember yeah. her? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Dolly's cousin got married to Van Buren's son, and she was the daughter of a wealthy southern planter. Some people went, oh, yeah, family marrying into the planter class <gasps> of the South. Well, that clearly shows what he thinks. Also, without a wife, remember Van Buren's wife had died yeah. a few years previously, this new daughter-in-law, named Angelica Singleton, became the hostess of the White House, and she was soon giving a southern air to the presidential mansion. Well, howdy, partners! Yeah, that's she, what she'd say. As but with a real southern accent. Oh, I don't think that was too bad. <laughs> I mean, it's probably terrible. I'm what y'all want over here? <laughs> Get yourself some lemonade! <laughs> yeah, that's what she'd say. Excellent. <laughs> Increasingly, it seemed like Van Buren was going to side with the South. There was a, was a few indications. Uh, for example, the gag rule had passed through the House Kinky. with Van Buren's support. We've mentioned yeah. the gag rule before uh, in John Quincy's episode, right. post-president. Oh, to gag the press. To gag the House. Oh, OK. It, itself, yeah. It was uh, a- anything to do with slavery was instantly tabled. You can't talk about slavery in the house. 
Right. I mean, it was flagrant abuse of the First Amendment, but uh, people didn't seem to care. At least no, some yeah. people didn't. Yeah, John Quincy was doing all he could to work around the gag law, and Bjorn supported it. Oh. Yeah, so uh, there was that indication that he was a Southern supporter. However, despite this, and the fact that many in the North thought of Van Buren as clearly pro-slavery, there were many in the South who did not trust this Northerner. He's, he's, he's from New York. Is he really pro-slavery? I just don't trust the guy. He won't have our, our best interests at heart, will he? Well, yeah, exactly. He doesn't know. And also, had he not signed up for an anti-slavery meeting when he was younger, okay, he didn't attend the meeting, but he signed up to have the meeting. Mm. That's suspicious. And also, he's on record saying that black men, if free, of course, could have a vote, which, which was horrifying to some people. I mean, admittedly, Van Buren said only if they had a certain amount of property, which none of them had. Uh, but still, it was the principle. He had said that black yeah. people should somehow be allowed to vote on things. And that disturbed many in the South. Hmm. Yeah. So typically for Van Buren, he was attempting to straddle the middle ground. Yeah. The ground, however, was shifting and he was left awkwardly doing the splits. Then, one night in November of 1837, a pro-slavery mob attacked a warehouse belonging to a newspaper editor. His name was Lovejoy. I really hope he was... uh, Oh, antiques dealer. Yeah, played by Ian McShane? Yes. Is it Ian McShane? Yes, it is. Yeah. So this guy looks just like Ian McShane. Yeah. Like like he was in Deadwood, or like he was as an antique dealer? Oh, like he was in Deadwood. Okay, so yeah. It makes sense, he had an American accent. Yeah, exactly. We we should probably explain... For our American listeners, why we're suddenly talking about Ian McShane. Yeah. Ian McShane, before he went off to America to be in Deadwood, like back in the 80s, I think, he played a character called Lovejoy. He was an antique stealer. Oh, it was brilliant. He wore a leather jacket, if I Oh, he did, right yeah. Way. Yeah. And solved crime. <laughs> did he? I believe so. He probably did. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember it was on when I was a child. Anyway, Lovejoy. Ian McShane. Lovejoy. (laughs) Yeah, he was a newspaper editor. He was anti-slavery, and he'd spoken out about slavery recently, published some articles. A pro-slavery mob were not happy with him. So, they make their way to Lovejoy's warehouse, with ladders and torches. That's where his antiques are. Exactly. Yeah, the idea was to burn the place down. However, Lovejoy had got wind of the attacks, and the two sides started shooting at each other. Oh, nice. Yeah. A few volleys are had, a couple of people fall to the ground in pain or dead. Lovejoy, who's inside the warehouse with his workmen, I suppose, uh, firing out, uh, realised that a ladder had been put up against the warehouse and there was a boy holding a torch, making his way up to set fire to the roof. Mm. So Lovejoy and one of his friends run out of the warehouse to try and knock the ladder over before the boy can get onto the roof. Mm. At this moment... Lovejoy receives a shotgun to the face. Oh. Yeah. Possibly to the face. He was killed with a shotgun. I yeah. Know that much. Yeah. Oh, a shotgun? Yeah. This story sent shockwaves over the political landscape. This whole slavery business was getting serious. There were now mobs out killing people over the issue. It could turn into like a civil war if they're not careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, around the same time, was the Texas question. And this was not <laughs> helping the whole slavery debates. But the, the question was, Texas? Yeah, te- Texas? Well, in 1836, Texas had declared themselves independent from Mexico. They all took their ponchos off and put on Stetsons <laughs> overnight. Yeah. Once they declared their independence from Mexico, they sought to join the US. 
Nice. Yeah. Uh, Texas at the time had a large enough population. It wasn't completely barren, um, but the population was a, a mixture of people who had emigrated from the US and also people who had moved up from Mexico. It was a, a melting pot. Yeah. It, it certainly didn't feel Mexican. It didn't feel American. It was its kind of own area. Right. <laughs> but looking around this new independent Texas, as they declared themselves, it's like, oh, who do we want to join? Should we be on our own or should we join the United States that are doing pretty well for themselves? Mm. And a lot of us have relatives that live over there. So they wanted to join. And we have oil. Yes, and Stetsons. So yeah, the idea of Texas joining the US was welcomed with open arms by the South. This is a yeah. wonderful idea. Texas, after all, was below the line that had been drawn during the Missouri Compromise. That meant Texas, this large, vast area of land with a decent population, would become a slave state. It would be a large and powerful one at that. But at the moment it wouldn't be because Mexico didn't have slaves. Exactly. Ah. Yeah, that's the problem. For it to be a slave state, it would have to reintroduce slavery. And then, then maybe people there that wouldn't want that. Yeah, there were certainly many people who said that this crossed a moral line. Now, it's one thing accepting that slavery is already already uh, a necessary evil that exists and we're trying to contain it, uh, but th- this was open, let's start up slavery. Van Buren realises that this is just going to cause a lot of problems, so he was very cautious about letting Texas join the states. Fair enough. And just kind of pushed it along a bit. Well, uh, someone else can deal with that when they're president. Mm. <laughs> this angered the South, especially Jackson. Jackson was writing angry letters from home at this point. <laughs> yeah. However, the South were slightly mollified when Van Buren continued with Jackson's Indian removal policy. So that cheered the South up. Good. The whole Trail of Tears Good. thing was happening. The whole forced death march. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that kept the South happy enough because the South were getting land from the Cherokees, which gold had recently been discovered in. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Uh, After all the nastiness that we covered last week occurred, Van Buren addressed Congress and said that the measures approved by the last Congress had, and I quote, had the happiest of effects. Uh. He also claimed that the treatment of the Indians had been, and again I quote, directed by the best feelings of humanity. Kill them all. Yeah. And the slavery question is still not going away. No no one's fixed that oh, yet. No. no, so that's still going along. And nor has the bitterness between parties over the economy. So as you can imagine, it's, it's just becoming quite negative. Yeah. Yeah. Things have got so bad in Washington that two congressmen duelled over a disagreement. One of them was fatally shot. The two sides of the political landscape were pulling apart. North yeah. and South were pulling apart. Ideas were becoming more extreme. It was not long before that anti-slavery advocates uh, had not called for abolition. Slavery's wrong, but abolition's too, too extreme. We can't just ban slavery. That's far too extreme. Was that a political manoeuvre or just... Yeah, a... um, it reminds me of the gun debates nowadays where even the... Regulate the, rather than get rid of. Yeah, even in America, the, the loudest voices against guns are still not claiming that we should get rid of guns. 
because that's too extreme. They're mm. saying we just need more regulation. Whereas most people in Europe look over at America's gun laws and just go, that's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. And we would have no problem in Europe saying we'll just get rid of guns. Well, uh, we did. Yes, exactly. The political landscape at the time, even anti-slavery movements were saying, oh, we can't say get rid of slavery. It's just too radical a position to take at that time. Uh, but, but was it politically minded? Like, if, if I say this, I'm going to have a massive percentage of the country that are going to be so angry. Yeah, exactly. Or genuinely don't think. No, you, you get the feeling it's just a case that it was would have been seen as so extreme no one would listen to you. Yeah. If you're there okay. calling for the abolition of slavery, then people would just call you a loon and stop listening straight yeah. away. But call for it in, in incremental steps. That might work. So it began with improve the lives of slavery. Equally, those pro-slave groups were also more moderate, not long before. It wasn't that long ago that slave owners saw slavery as a problem, uh, an evil, but the economy depended upon it. Yeah. It was there when the nation started up, yeah. all thanks to the British. <laughs> it's all their fault. We've got it now. We have to live with it. I don't like it, but I've got slaves. Yeah. And that, as we've seen quite a few of the presidents we've covered, that was generally their attitude. I don't mm. like slavery, but I've got slaves. However, now we start to see both sides becoming more extreme. The anti-slavery side starts calling for abolition of slavery. No, let's just get rid of it. This is wrong. The pro-slavery side starts saying things like, not only does our economy depend on slavery, but slavery is actually a moral good. Slavery oh. should exist. Oh, How can you argue that? Well, these people, yes, they have to work for no money, but they're fed, they're clothed, they don't have economic problems to worry about. Well, they don't have money. So. What an easy life it must be to just sit there. You know what you need to do each day. You don't need to worry about the bigger things in life. They just get on with their work. And after all, they can't look after themselves, can they? Yeah, racism really starts to kick in at this wow. point, where you get uh, people having to use racism to justify their arguments. Uh, slavery is good because black people are incapable of actually looking after themselves. Like helping out the unfortunate. Yeah, almost. exactly. We're giving them a chance in life. Yeah. That's, that's terrible. That's really bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really becomes uh, quite dark, in fact. Uh, some arguments went along the lines of slavery is even a force for good for marriage. What? Yeah, th this one's particularly sickening. Uh, one defender of slavery wrote at the time that slaves were good because men were able to, and I quote, harmlessly vent their lust on their slaves. Yeah. Uh, the pro-slavery movement go off the deep end. They're there in the Mariana Trench. Yeah, um, they really are. Anyway, things come to a head in 1839 with the Armistad case. It starts on the coast of Cuba. A group of slaves revolted and took over their ship. They killed a number of the crew, including their captain, and then they directed the surviving crew to take them back to the west coast of Africa. They'd only recently been kidnapped. Okay. And they were being brought over. So, take us home. However, the crew on this Spanish ship managed to trick the revolting slaves and sailed into the US waters, where they were apprehended by the US Coast Guard. Digga digga dun. Yeah, uh, Baywatch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Hoff was there. Oh. Apprehended the ship. Bulge out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't called the US Coast Guard back then. It was called the Revenue Cutter Service. Uh, <laughs> but the only difference is that instead of red shorts, they were blue. Uh, uh, ooh. Yeah, no, but that is the only difference. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this uh, this slave ship gets taken in to America. Political fallout then follows, as you can imagine. The men had been kidnapped in Africa illegally, it turned out. They had been transported illegally. So were these men slaves? If it's not part of a legal trade, they're just free men who have been kidnapped. But so would all the other... What? Yeah, this is the argument that many people made. Um, so are they slaves because it was an illegal slave trade? Because remember, before then, slave trade was legal. And you still got legal slave trade in areas of the world. But this yeah. particular slave trade was illegal. So are they slaves? Or are they just kidnapped men fighting for their freedom? So that this struggle and this argument captures the imagination of the abolition movement in the country, mm. understandably. Van Buren trying to make everything just go away, because everything's <laughs> really hard politically yeah. at the moment, and nothing's working out quite how he wants it to, just orders that the men be returned to their Spanish owners. Just, just send the ship back. We don't want to deal with this. Oh dear. But his political opponents would not let him get away with that, and the case got caught up in the courts. Eventually, it reached the Supreme Court where John Quincy Adams himself defended the men. Now, I did briefly mention yes, this. right in his episode, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he gave a speech that ultimately convinced the court to announce that the men were indeed free men. Van Buren, however, did not follow the ruling of a lower court that said the United States should pay for the men to return home. He said, no, I'm not doing that. Eventually, the men are returned home in 1842. Uh, the funds were raised to, to send them back home. So roughly how long were they in? Uh, a good few years. Right. Um, yeah, and they, they go back to the west coast of Africa. I tried to find out if they actually made it home home, because the west coast of Africa <laughs> is a large place. <laughs> it is, it's bigger than Europe. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, at least they made it back. Um, as you can imagine, all this does not reflect well on Van Buren. No. So much so, he is made the bad guy in Steven Spielberg's Armistad film from 1997. Yeah, so there's a film about all this, and uh, Van Buren's oh. the bad guy. So I've purposely not watched it yet, because I wanted to do this episode first, so I'm not swayed yeah. by the film, but I'm going to watch it. Maybe we should watch it, we can review it. Anyway... The North looked at Van Buren as a stooge for the South. Still, the world moves on, and it's still rapidly changing. Just to give you a sense of where we are in history, in England, a new queen took the throne. Queen Victoria. Oh, we hit the Victorian age We already. have hit the Victorian wow. age. Wow. Everyone's now got Victorian-style moustaches. Also, in 1838, the first steamboat crossed the Atlantic. A journey that could take anywhere between one and two months was suddenly cut to two weeks. Wow. Yeah. The camera was invented in France and soon was all over the world. I thought it was a, a Scottish. I did look this up. Various bits were invented in various places. Right. Uh, it wasn't called the camera either. Is I'm that where the first photograph here. was taken? And The Eiffel Tower, yeah. <laughs> photograph of, uh, from a rooftop looking down on a cityscape. But it's all empty because it's um, long exposure. It didn't pick up the people. But there's one person on the camera of somebody getting their shoe polished. Oh, no, I said this one, yeah. with their leg up on a little stand. It's, that might be the one. Because apparently that's considered the first photograph. It, that, well, that will be around this time if it's not the first. But yeah, all, all that's happening. Wow, that's quite a time of innovation. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the, the we, we think of the time we're living in as rapidly changing since the computer age hit the internet. But it would have felt just the same back then with all the rapid changes that were going on. <laughs> People are like, back in my day. We didn't have these photographs. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the rapid change of everything, it's, it must have been a crazy time. Oh, to yeah. Live. There were people alive who, who 
were alive when Washington was there and the revolution. Yeah. And everyone's going around on their horses, in their breeches. Everything seems pretty Familiar. much medieval almost. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And now all of a sudden you've got people hanging off the front of steam engines taking selfies with their fancy new cameras. <laughs> so, <laughs> That'd be an amazing photograph. <laughs> yeah, I mean, times have changed. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to stand still really hard <laughs> <laughs> to really pick up the terror. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess back then though, it was all very much mechanical changes. Yes, yeah. big changes. Yeah, and now it's more software, yeah. almost micro changes, but make a bigger diff. I don't know if they, well, they probably don't yeah. make a bigger difference, but they make the internet. The internet. Did. Oh, absolutely. But the iPhone ten to the iPhone. Six. I mean, they're the same thing, pretty they much. They really are. Yeah, <laughs> they keep saying it's the biggest new thing since yeah. the iPhone one, but it's not. It's no. not. We all know that. Same as Samsung as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no difference. So that just gives you a feel of of the time that Van Buren was in. Uh, everyone's a bit miserable. Everyone's really poor, but at the same time, there's this excitement of a uh, huge cultural change going on, and also the Canadians are revolting. Canadians. Yeah, yeah, there's trouble in Canada. They're starting to rebel against the British, some of them are. Many in the US wanted to throw their weight behind this rebellion. After all, 1812 was fresh enough in everyone's memory. Van Buren was able to diplomatically talk to the British and de-escalate things, uh, and also did again when the governor of Maine started to, to dispute the land between Maine and Canada. They'd never really been sorted out. Mm. But again, things were de-escalated by Van Buren. Perhaps... Something he doesn't get much credit for. Uh, but there could have been tensions there, and he manages to just notch it down a point or two. But despite these small political wins, the next election was looming. Ooh. Van Buren had a problem. He was deeply unpopular just about everywhere, and the papers let it be known. One time he announced in frustration, and I quote here, Why the deuce is it that they have such an itch for abusing me? That's an amazing phrase. What the deuce? Uh, it's possibly why they had such an itch for abusing yes. <laughs> You talk like an idiot. <laughs> well, the election drew nearer. A congressman named Ogle, uh, good name, stood up and delivered a speech, which I'm sure he was very pleased with afterwards, because it's the only reason why history remembers him. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a speech that ripped the president to shreds. It started as a speech against the funds that the White House had requested for refurbishment. I mean, it stinks of cheese. We need to do something. <laughs> it's still there, lingering. <laughs> yeah, got to get rid of it. Um, it's formed a presence. It's like a cheese ghost. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Van Buren had asked for some funds. We, we need to redo the plumbing. We need to... Give Brian a trim. Yeah, exactly. He needs the stables. Yeah. Yeah, that donkey's going to be there for a while. Yeah, he's yeah. going places. Exactly. Yeah, so Van Buren had uh, asked for some funds. That included a list of things that he wanted to spend money on. This soon became a list for his enemies. Ah. Yeah, Ogle accused Van Buren of wanting to create a royal palace for himself and proceeded to take the house on an imaginary stroll through Van Buren's new White House. So there he is standing up saying, imagine what it will look like. Come with me as we look at Van Buren's new palace. In the same way that we start off some episodes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So imagine your... The speech went down very well. It highlighted the extravagances of Van Buren, his slight oddities. Uh, <laughs> and it was also humorously poking fun at him at the same time, or at least to begin with. He described 
the house as, and I quote, a royal palace as splendid as that as the Caesars. Quick high five. Always good to start yeah. with a Roman reference. Yeah. He then described the gardens using Latin and English names for all the flowers just to make it sound more ridiculous and grand, and then accused the president of wanting to re-landscape the gardens. And I quote here, Hence, the reformers have constructed a number of cleverly sized hills, every pair of which, it is said, was designed to resemble and assume the form of an Amazon's bosom, with a miniature knoll or a hillock at its apex to denote the nipples. You can't say nipples, Rob. <laughs> oh, he did. He went there. He did. Wow. Yeah, when this was uh, published, the nipple was uh, dashed out. That that got quite a few titters. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why is he making a boob out of himself? Yeah. After this ridiculous description of Van Buren's preferred living quarters, he starts to attack the president personally. All of a sudden, the, the smiles start to fade as people realise this is getting quite personal. His wife's a what? <laughs> you can't say that about Brian. He's lovely. Well, I'll quote here. The soul of Van Buren is so very, very, very diminutive, that it might find abundant space within the barrel of a milliner's thimble to form all the evolutions of a whirling pirouette. Then he went on to compare Van Buren with Washington, and this is where it actually starts to get a bit cutting. <laughs> Washington and Van Buren, bless my soul, what a falling off. Yes, what a fall there has been, my countrymen. After looking back down at the illustrious line of worthies who have occupied the presidential chair, is this not enough to make the heart of any patriot bleed? I do not see what it is that such a nation should ever have made so much of such a small pattern of a man. He has done nothing but plot to elevate himself. And yet here we are. We are all thrown into turmoil about one little man, as if he was a hero or a statesman. Ooh. That's a lot better than the first insult. Yeah. First one was pathetic. It was it was a bit metaphorical, wasn't it? Yeah, a bit it was too... A bit figurative. Yeah, it got a bit lost in it. Yeah. This one, a bit burny. This was just now, you're useless, you're small and pathetic. Why mm. should we even spend time discussing you, Mr. President? What? Yeah. Imagine after this Van Buren's protest that all he wanted to do was get rid of the cheese smell. Uh, fell on deaf ears. Yeah. Yeah. It's making Brian sick. <laughs> now, it is often said that laughter is the pol politician's worst enemy. I mean, they can True. hate you, they can fear you, yeah. but once they start laughing at you, there's trouble. And this is when the election kicks off. Yeah. Yeah. Van Buren, who had worked so hard at promoting Jackson, who was so good at electioneering, now found that his political opponents had been watching and learning. And the trouble mm -hmm. with wanting to recreate the two-party system, which is what he wanted to do, is that you not only create your own party, you also create an opposition. The Whigs had thrown their weight behind a war hero, a man named Harrison, and now they used every trick that they possibly could to support their man. They got all the ideas that Van Buren had before and put them on steroids. Using the newspapers and the trains, they were able to spread their message quicker than ever before. Or expedient, you could say. Yes, exactly. Attacks and outright lies were printed against Van Buren, but there was nothing Van Buren could really do apart from declare them as lies. Yeah. By that point, people had read them. Unfortunately for him, most people were ready to believe anything bad against him because he was just so unpopular by this point. Yeah. And also, not everything was lies. Many had justifiable reasons to no longer trust this career politician who never really seemed to stand for anything. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. 
The wig movement kept growing. Someone took things to another level, and soon products were being sold with Harrison's name on it. Shaving foam, tobacco, cider. Harrison's prophylactics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the EC Booze Distillery sold a huge amount of Harrison whiskey. This is the Booze Distillery, which is where we get the word booze from, meaning alcohol. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, there you go. That's amazing. It's a little factoid for you. Oh, he gets my vote. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> He's giving whiskey out. And he... Yeah, he's, he's giving out booze. <laughs> Quite literally. Um, I'm voting for Harrison, definitely. There was another genius who wrote a song using Harrison's nickname, which was Tippecanoe. Now, a man named Tyler was running with Harrison um, as the vice president. So you had Harrison and Tyler, uh, and a musician somewhere wrote a song about the two of them. And using modern technology, the song could now be written down, printed, and those music sheets sent out. And soon enough, everyone in the country, from New Orleans to Boston, would know this song. And what is amazing is that we can now listen to that song. <gasps> Brilliant! Go on, then. So, yeah, this is a first in... Well over a hundred recorded episodes that we have done. Yeah. That we actually get to listen to something that happened in history. It's amazing. Yeah. The song's only about a minute or so long, so I'll play the whole thing to you. Okay, you ready? You ready to play? Yep. Off you go. Oh, who has heard the great commotion, motion, motion all the country through? It is the ball a rolling on for Tippecanoe and Tyler too, for Tippecanoe and Tyler too. And with them will beat little Van, Van, Van is a used up man. And with them will beat little Van. Sure, let him talk about heart cider, 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 and lock heavens too. Will only help to speed the ball for Tippecanoe and Tyler too. For Tippecanoe and Tyler too. And with them will beat little Van. Van, Van is a used up man. And with them will beat little Van. Like the rush of mighty waters, 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 onward it will go. And its course will bring you through for Tippecanoe and Tyler too. For Tippecanoe and Tyler too. And with them will be little Van, Van, Van is a used up man. And with them will be little Van. Wow. You like that? I did like that. That's quite nice. Quite a cool little jingle, isn't it? I yeah, like it's really it. cool. I, I was doing my research and I had Van, Van, Van is a used up man for quite some time. About <laughs> all weekend I've had that really? in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, nice. I like that. That's nice. Yeah, so, I mean, th this is it. This is uh, the election process entering a new phase. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago you just had people saying, no, I'm not getting involved, and the people need to realise that they need me more than I need them. Whereas now you've got people with acoustic guitars going up and down the country singing songs like this, <laughs> handing out whiskey and shampoo. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's things are changing quite a bit. Oh, wow. So that's the Whig Party. All the Democrats really managed to do in return was try and appropriate a saying from Boston. Boston. Which was all correct. Which was a way they'd say, instead of all right, yeah, it's all right, it's all correct. Only it was said in a certain accent and a certain slang way to be all correct, with an O and a K. All correct. Yeah. All correct. Obviously that was shortened to OK. Oh, wow! Which Buren and his followers tried to push this new saying that people were saying, it means old Kinderhook. Kinderhook, where Van Buren comes from. This can be a nickname. 
Let's give Van Buren a nickname because Jackson had the nickname Old Hickory, Old Kinderhook. It will remind people of Jackson's nickname. Plus, it's linked to this new slang word that's around. And yeah, there you go. You've just blown my mind. It's a, it's a that good That is bat amazing. Toy. That is where we get OK from. We get booze and OK and all those things from this period. It's, it's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. In the space of a campaign. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I quite like the song, but you've got to admit, OK stuck more than the song did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't really do much for Van Buren. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, there's, there's the saying caught on. But uh, yeah, the election was a foregone conclusion. The election process was so successful that 80% of those eligible to vote did so. That's a huge percentage. Must be, yeah, of course, be. this is still white men with money, but yeah, course, yeah. those eligible, a lot decided to vote. Uh, unfortunately, not many of them liked Van Buren. He got 60 electoral votes. Harrison got 234. Oh, that's a whitewash. Oh, yes. That's a tsunami. <laughs> yeah. However, despite the opposition taking over, Van Buren stayed for the inauguration speech of Harrison, which not every president has done in the past when it's passed from one party to the other. No, so I guess that's so. good. He sat there, listened to the longest inauguration speech in history. Harrison liked to talk. Uh, and uh, the weather was horrible that day as well. Yeah, yeah he had to sit through it. Without... Uh, you'll have to give it away. How, how long does the speech last for? Well, we've got Harrison's episode. I know, so that's what I want to give it away, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that in his episode. I'm hoping it's a good, like, six hour. <laughs> I'm thinking of quoting it in full. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. So anyway, Van Buren heads home. As always, we're not really going to cover his post-presidential life uh, because it gives away things that happen in the future. Yeah. Uh, but just know he increasingly becomes anti-slavery as time goes on. Okay. Uh, yeah, which leads some historians to think he was always anti-slavery. Mm. He was just politically trying to keep the South close yeah. to stop things falling apart. Other historians say, nah, he just changed his opinion as he got older. Uh, it's really hard to say, to be honest. He did dabble with the idea of running for president again a couple of times in 44 really? and 48. Wow. But nothing really came from it. He He's sort of involved in the formation of yet another party at one point oh, really? uh, called the Free Free Soil Movement. And we'll, uh, we'll go into that when that happens. But yeah. So he does get off, he does quite a few things. He went to Europe, had a bit of a holiday. Uh, and then in 1862, he dies of pneumonia oh. at the age of 79. Wow, it's a good age yeah. at that time. Just in time to see the Civil War. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fruits of my labours. <laughs> yeah. And there you go, that is Van Van, a used up man. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He's an interesting person. He is. Just happened to be president at the worst possible time. <laughs> he got so unlucky. He really did. He had a winning hand beforehand. Oh, he really did. Um, yeah. Do you remember our interview with um, People Be Potus? Yes. And before we started, we were talking about Van Buren briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I put a snippet of it at the start of the episode. Right. Right at the start. And uh, yeah, American Jamie just talked about how, what a terrible hand Van Buren was given. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't much he could do. I agree with my counterpart, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still, it's time to judge him. Good. He was, and it's hard to argue with this, a fantastic politician. Oh, yeah. In the sense that he was able to build consensus and create a democratic party. He created one of the political parties that still exists today. Mm. I mean, that that's points in the win column there. 
Absolutely. Yeah. He pushed the election process out of the 18th century into the 19th century. He modernised it. Yeah. He was able to perform his duties well enough as president. I mean, he managed to de-escalate things with the British, which was quite good. Uh, But presiding over one of the largest economical crashes in US history... It's always going to be tough. <laughs> and it was. Yeah. He attempted to solve the problem, but didn't really get anywhere with it. Yeah. But at least he tried. And because of the way he always towed the middle line, he was able to pull together some kind of compromise. Yes. And it didn't work brilliantly, but it's better than most people would have been able to do at the time. That's true. And, and some of the strategies he formulated or used were implemented later on. Yeah. In history exactly. as well. So. Yeah. So, I mean, there was that. Um, He attempted to compromise and keep both sides happy with the slavery issue. Uh, You could argue that's not great, it's delaying the inevitable. Uh, But you could argue that's looking in hindsight. The Civil War is not inevitable at this point. No. Uh, So uh, possibly you could argue that. Bad, however, he can't escape the criticisms that are levelled at Jackson. Uh, He supported the move against the banks the economic policies he was behind, and the Indian removal policy. It's not like he was there clutching at his pearls, screaming all the horrors that was going on. I mean, Jackson gets most of the blame for it, but Van Buren was there as well. And actually, Nodding along. Yeah, and it, some of the worst of it happened whilst he was president, and he said it was all great afterwards. So he certainly deserves some criticism for that. And sometimes you just need to make a stand as a politician. You need to have conviction. Yeah. And he, 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 he never did that. You can be a good politician without convictions, but you can never be a great politician. No. So there's no way he will ever be considered a great president. He was never going to be. It doesn't matter what happens, because he never showed his convictions. No. So, yeah. Um, it's a tricky one, because there are more positives, however, than I think the negatives far outweigh the positives. Yeah, definitely. In many ways. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go for four. I was gonna go lower than that. You going lower? I was thinking like three. Actually, no. Why am I even going to four? What did he do that was good again? <laughs> I was something. Oh no 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 no! He created the Democratic Party. That That's is why he's got the three. Biggie. That is big. <laughs> um, but at this point, it's nothing. It's just a, another group, isn't it? Yeah, but it is the formation of not just one of the two major political if parties. We can't count the today. civil war in hindsight. We can't count that in hindsight. Well, yeah, but what you can do is say it was the first real political party. Before that, it was more True. kind of vague formations. Okay. Is, um, a unified force. Let's go for five, then. Oh, you've already written your three down. Are you jumping off that much? But it's, it's quite a big thing. I'm still only going to give them four. I'm not going to oh, I'm actually five. four, then. I'm actually four. Then. You're matching a four. Okay, that is four apiece. That is eight for statesmanship. Disgrace gates. Really not much personal here no uh, he may have been Aaron Burr's son <laughs> that's brilliant yeah <laughs> which um, we decided is definitely true and if so is scandalous <laughs> but I mean in real life it almost certainly is not true and even if it is yeah, so what? did Aaron Burr have sideburns <laughs> yeah they look quite similar they really did yeah then it's, uh, I'd say it's a definite <laughs> he owned a slave like I mentioned, I mean, this is nothing like uh, Jackson, Jefferson, Washington with their plantations. It literally no. was a slave. Uh, but still, it's owning another person. Yeah. Not good. Right. Uh, apart from that, nothing personal, really. However, and I think this is where we need to, to draw some lines and clear things up. In fact, we both just had an off-air discussion uh, to clarify some things. Oh, what did you stroke we think? Like? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, uh, to try and make things a bit clearer. And I think this works so we don't need to change anyone's score um, at all. I think this does work with the way we've been doing things, but now we're going to actually make it clear. Um, statesmanship is all about what people do as the state, as the president. The figurehead. Yeah. So if you've done something wrong as president, something morally reprehensible as the president, yeah. that's Mark's knocked off statesmanship. Yes. So the Indian Removal Act marks off in statesmanship. That was the state doing it. And we took that off for that. And we did. We took lots of points off Jackson for that. Whereas in Disgracegate, we're thinking this should be more personal. It's what you do as a person. Now, Jackson, even if you don't take into account the Indian Removal Act, still did so much personal reprehensible stuff. <laughs> I'm happy he still gets four marks. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and also the earlier presidents owning slaves. I mean, that wasn't the state owning slaves. That was them personally owning slaves. So they got marks in this round. Yes. It's negative points. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to make that clear distinction now, eight episodes in. Okay. <laughs> Statesmanship, the state, disgracegate, more personal. Fair enough. So we're not going to give Van Buren points for his involvement in the Indian Removal Act in this round. He lost the points in the last round for it. Fair enough. So yeah. we just need to give him points for the fact that he did own a slave. And yeah. uh, he may have been Aaron Burr's son, which I, I really don't think we can give him points I think he's sat on the fence too much, so like even prior to being president. Uh, can was... you give him points for disgracegate, for just being a bit non-committal? It's a bit disgraceful, though, because he's doing it politically. He's doing it for a reason, so everyone likes him. It's, it's a power play, and that's... You know, we talked about lack of conviction. He didn't have that. Well, like like Ogle said, all he's ever done is plot to, to further his own career. Yeah. But... If we start giving points out for that... <laughs> That's good. Actually, they all get points. Yeah. yeah. No, fair, no, fair point. Right, I'm going to give him... Uh, minus... I'm going to give him a couple of points for owning a slave. I don't think he should have yeah. as much because it's not no. a big plantation. I'll give him minus uh, two. But it's not great and I can't give him anything for Burr. Um, yeah, I'm going to give him minus two. He really didn't do too much bad in his life. That's minus four off his total score. Okay. Silver screen. Well... I think he wins on this one quite a lot because he has his film by Steven Spielberg or part of his life. Well, exactly. It's not his whole life epic, is it? But still, that's quite impressive. I'd love to be have a film. It'd be a very boring film, <laughs> but at least Steven Spielberg will make it very dramatic. What about your life? Yeah. What about that time you saved the orphans from the lorry? Well, there is that. Yeah, and then, then raised them, and one of them won the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, there there is that, and there's the thing about the animal sanctuary as well. Yeah, it was on fire. Yeah, and those scars. Yeah, that I still have. And you overcoming being clinically dead for what was it six sixteen days? Years. Years. Yeah. Yes. Um, he'd be able to make something out of that. I don't know. There's, there's not much to work with. Anyway, Van Buren. <laughs> um, I'll try and make Van Buren's life sound interesting. Uh, I honestly quite enjoyed researching it, and the um, the the first uh, episode on him, I it was I, brilliant. I, I loved it, but when you actually stop and think, right, how would I make this into a film? Well, let me break this down. Born in a small Dutch community, hello, <laughs> in the tavern, cleaning the glasses, glug glug glug. You're opening up on the set of Cheers. That's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Someone walks in, everyone laughs and cheers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then, job cleaning the fire, he gets dusty, he goes out and he buys himself a sharp suit. He became a lawyer. Uh, there was an election and he became a senator in New York. And uh, political fighting against Clinton, that might work fairly well. Maybe, if done well. Then the election and to become a national sen senator. 
the formation of the Democratic Party, the election of Jackson, then the Petticoat Affair with uh, Peggy. Might be able to do do something with him uh, reaching for her knocker. Trip to England, sampling the ale. Vice president for a bit, then he was president for a bit, and everyone was sad. I, th- I think you being too flippant with that. <laughs> Far too flippant. <laughs> really? The last episode was so engaging and interesting. Uh, um, it's the manipulation, the parties you can have, the way he's manipulating people and it would have to be together. done very well. And if it was done well, it would be amazing to create a true political drama. He would be the best so far, but almost noir style. It it would be tricky to do. I think so. I suppose him, him trying to outmaneuver Calhoun, all that stuff might be good. And even even the panic of everything going wrong around him. Yeah. In his voice as president. Just the presidency. downfall of him sitting in a cheese-smelling White House on his own. With a sad-looking donkey next to him. Yeah. <laughs> so everything's creative falls apart. Yeah. Uh, I suppose there is that. And just just him just panicking and just like trying to like trying to put out so many fires and it's not working. He's trying his best, but everyone's hating him still. The lies, the propaganda spreading, and you know these. Evil people spreading these lies like Oogle, whatever his name was. And the song. And the song. Just a minstrel following him wherever he goes. <laughs> van, van. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a used up man. Uh, I think it's more interesting that you're giving it credit for. It's certainly not, not the dullest. It, it's the creation of the Democratic Party. It's the only thing that's saving it, though. Hmm. And that's I don't montage. think I can go any higher than five for this. Well, I was going to give him like four. But... Yeah. I'm, I'm... <laughs> no, I think I'm going to go for about four as well. That is eight. eight. Okay, do you want to see him then? Oh, I'm dying to see him. Well, here he is. Wow, it's like his head's on fire. Yeah, there are some relatively impressive sideburns. He's fairly old in the um, official portrait. I mean, he's approaching 60, but he never really had any hair on top. He was always uh, bald like that with big sideburns. Coming down the side. Oh, I like that. Yeah. When that happens to me, that's what I'm, I want to do now. Yeah, big sideburns. It's yeah. the way forward. He, he's got quite a friendly face, hasn't he? He looks really happy. You can, smile, yeah. He fits the character, I think. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. It, just imagine him looking younger with sort of brown hair and sli- slightly less sticky out. That's what he looked like when he was younger. So it's, it's kind of face you trust. You chat to him. You can imagine him saying, hello. Yeah, exactly. Um, a cup of tea. And in the official portrait, he's there. He's um, leaning on a cheese. Is that a cheese slice or a book? It's, it's like a wad of papers. I'm not sure what it is. It's money. <laughs> the economy yes. is collapsing. <laughs> yes. I found some money, guys. It's um, mine. Yeah, he's got a red chair near him. Very ready, velvety background. Yeah, it's got um again, it's it slightly harks back to the Washington one from the beginning. Yes. With a similar pose, but it's the symbolic Yeah, less Roman <clears throat> imagery in this one. Uh but no, I, I like it. I, I like his look. Uh, that's quite nice. I think I see him perfectly. I'm gonna go for seven. I'm gonna go for six, it's not Poirot. Okay, fair enough. So that's three point two five. Uh, he only, he's a one-term president. Yeah. So one point for terms. Uh, no one tried to kill him, as far as we can tell. I mean, they were some cutting lyrics, but <laughs> he wasn't actually... No. No. So no points in assassination. Um, election. He gets a one, scoring 57.8% of the electoral votes. What about so, his second one? Yeah, so he it's not a landslide win, it no. was just a respectable win. So he scores one point for election. That is a total of two points for the bonus rounds. 
So that's a total score of 17.25. Sorry, Van Buren. I'm not our lowest. Uh, Jackson's disgrace gate just pulled him down, so he's <laughs> still our bottom. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's it's not a brilliant score. It's our second to lowest, which I don't think will surprise many people. No, probably not. No, probably not. But it leads to the question. American or American? Tale of two halves. Yeah, very much so, isn't it? It's a shame. Um, he's got a lot of positives. Yeah. Certainly the beginning of his life, I think. The the wrangling. The, the first politician we've said, and you said that. Yeah. The first politician we've had. He created the the Democratic Party, which is still around now in some guise. And, and you could argue a lot a lot of the things that happened in the presidency weren't his fault. It was just a poor victim of circumstance. And, you know, you could put Lincoln in there or Washington. They may not have dealt with it any better. Yeah. I, I was, this time last episode i was like he's gonna get it yeah me too it's like this is really impressive stuff yeah but doing my research on the second part of his life it just i don't think you can be that bad as a president and get american if he was an american he would have done something about it i'm not saying that was possible i'm not saying it's fair <laughs> but just a fact. It's just a fact. Well, he did do something about it. He just didn't did, work. Did, yeah, exactly. He's close. He's closer than I thought he'd be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I didn't think we were going to have any until Lincoln. But I don't. I don't think he can have it. I no. I agree with that. Which is a shame. So, I sorry, argue. Van Buren. You are an American. Oh. Which is a shame. He's, he's a used up man. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, it's a bit of a downer at the end there, uh, not giving out an American, but uh, it sometimes happens. That's life, I'm afraid. That's life, it Get is. Get over it. Right, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, please leave reviews if you're enjoying this. Yeah, um, please. Yeah, yeah, go on to iTunes, leave us a review. Okay, and next time is Harrison, or Tippecanoe. Tippecanoe. What are your expectations on him? I don't know. You don't know anything about him, do you? No. How do you think he'll be as president? Not great, because people. A few when when we're when we're doing the um the multicast. <laughs> oh yeah, nice. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> they just kept saying it's really dry now until Lincoln. So <laughs> hopes aren't high. We'll see how he does. Okay. Next okay. time, and anyone who knows American history are now probably grinning. Uh, <laughs> He's like the best president ever, isn't he? We'll see. Right. Oh. Okay. Um, thank you very much for listening. All that needs to be said then is... Goodbye. Goodbye. Bloop. Hello? Hello, Mr. Van Buren. Nice to see you. Wonderful to see you, Peggy. It's been so terrible for you recently. Oh, it has been. Don't listen to them. All the boomers about all the young men lies. Lies, Peggy. That's true. They were like, well, four of them were. Well, anyway, I'm here to offer my support, Peggy. Oh, thank you. You've always been such a... Yes, anyway, right. I've got something I need to say. Oh. Um, General Jackson. Oh, the president. I just happened to be wandering past the White House the other day, and... Oh, yes. I couldn't help but think General Jackson and... <laughs> I'm sure you agree with me here. That General Jackson, isn't he a wonderful, wonderful man? Oh, uh, yes, he's, he's quite nice. Don't tell him that I told you that, Peggy. I definitely shan't. Good. Secrets are a bond kept forever between friends. Yes, well, just don't, don't tell him. Don't tell him what? That he's, he's just a good man. Good all-round man. Just a good man? 
Oh, no, best, the best man in the city. Oh, in this... Well, the city's quite small. The country, dear lady. He's the best man in the country. Yeah, there are more people the in the world. world. The world. The ah. world. He is the best man in all of history in the world. Okay, and yes. you don't want me to tell him that? No. Good, I won't. No problem. Um, My lips are sealed. Well, I mean, you, you don't need to seal them too much. <laughs> take, take your hand away from your mouth. I can't understand a word you're saying. Would you like a cup of tea? What? Tea? No, no, we're talking about General Jackson. Oh. Anyway, don't tell him. Why are you winking? Is there something wrong with your eye? Are you having a stroke? No, no, I'm just making it very clear that you're not to tell General Jackson. I, I said I won't. You are going to the White House later, aren't you? No. Well, maybe you should think of going. I should? Yes, and I'll tell you what, hang on a second. What, what's that? What, what are you writing down there? J- just a quick note. Right, I've just written down what you can't tell General Jackson, and if you could just, when you're in the White House, make sure you don't leave this on his desk. You're winking again. Just make sure no one ever sees this note, Peggy. That's fine, I'll burn it. Look at it. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh. Ah, look at the flames. Fine. How much do you want to put in a good word with General Jackson for me? Five thousand dollars. Done. You've just spilled your drink all over yourself, haven't you? I have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's cold. It looks cold. It's just soaking. You've just got a wet t-shirt now. Yeah. Not even wearing a t-shirt. It's a shirt. That's what yeah. it's called. It's got a t-shirt underneath, though. Have you? Is it soaked into that? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought the polyester in the shirt was sort of holding out for a bit longer, but so, do you want didn't bead. Do anything about this, or are you going to nah, pass through? That's fine, I'll pass through. Okay, I'm so. a martyr, Rob, you know that. <laughs> the listeners I can hear them cheering it. me on in the yeah. background. Come on, Jamie, don't give up. <laughs> you can do this. Fair enough. We're, I can. We're, we're struggling on. I believe, I believe in myself. <laughs>